cling to that last phrase of the song. You are forever mine. And that phrase can be stated two ways. One, you responding to the Lord in that you have experience and you know and you believe in his message of hope and life in Jesus Christ. Lord, you are forever mine. But know that he also says to you through his Son and through that word of absolution and through the gift of the sacrament at the table, you are forever mine. What a great word of hope that we have. You and I, we often uh, uh, use the word but to lead into, you know, something that, you know, we want to say there's an exception to or an excuse for. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples like, he hit me first. <laughs> uh, that one was said a lot in the house I grew up in. You know, pointing the finger always to somebody else. Or... But I know I'm right. <laughs> and that one still shows up in our lives today. And you can start adding all kinds of other ones for your lives, like driving down the road, but he cut me off. <laughs> you and I know how it is to take that one simple, single word and begin to use it you know, as an exception or as an excuse for something that we are doing or something we're not doing. Now consider Jesus' use of that word, but, in our reading today from the Gospel, verse 27. But, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he does it again in verse 35 when he begins with very much the same, but he goes further. But love your enemies. Do good to them and give to them without expecting to get anything back. And you kind of want to say, really, Jesus? Are you really serious that you want me to love my enemies, love those who have hurt me, offended me, caused me distress and problems in my life? Love them? Well, in this chapter, Jesus had called the 12 apostles, and throughout this whole section, what he has been doing is he is preparing them and he is preparing us for the realities of living as his followers and his servants. And so this conjunction of but from Jesus is really like him saying, as the called-out ones, that is, as the church, as the called-out ones, this is what you are supposed to do. What Jesus calls us to, though, is not what you and I expect, is it? I mean, it's, 
is like, you know, love the people that believe like you. Love people who think like you. Love people who look like you. But that's not what he's saying. This isn't how we see the world working. This isn't how my heart and my mind, you know, process things and think. We say, you've got to stand up for yourself. This isn't right. You've got to defend yourself. You don't need to take that kind of treatment. But what Jesus calls us to is not what we expect and not based upon our standards. No, Jesus calls us beyond our perspective and lays before us a standard that we are to love without limits. How's that sound? Love everyone. Not an easy thing for us to swallow and accept, is it? Now, this teaching of Jesus, by the way, is not just a, about a moral teaching. Sometimes people, you know, take the parables and they take the teachings of Jesus and they think, okay, now you go and do likewise, but it's far more. I mean, take the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some would say, now, you go and do likewise. You take care of those who are in need. But here's a more accurate translation of what Jesus was teaching us in that one to give you an idea. You're the one who's beat up and left for dead along the side of the road, and Jesus is the Good Samaritan who comes along and you've done nothing to deserve it, but he picks you up, he restores you, he loves you, and he cares for you. I'm going to set that tone here because, again, this isn't just about a, a moral teaching. It is about what he has done for us and what he still continues to do for us still today and will every day going forward. And then we, as his followers, are called to live in response to what he has done. And now take Joseph. In our Old Testament reading today, he had experienced what the Lord warns of in chapter 6. Rejection. Persecution. Hate. And by his own brothers. They were jealous. They were jealous because he was, at least in their eyes, the favorite son. And they didn't like it. And so they took their brother and they threw him into a pit and they took his coat and they made it look like that he had been killed by a wild animal and they convinced their father he was dead, but Joseph they took and they sold into slavery. Joseph knew what it was like to be rejected, persecuted, and hated. But here come his brothers in our reading today. The land is in a great famine, seven-year famine, as he was able to reveal through the dream of what would happen. And his brothers, they come to Egypt because they hear Egypt has food. And they come and they stand before their brother, not knowing it's him, asking for food to save the people of Israel. Joseph, he recognizes them. 
And listen to what he says. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save the lives, save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. My dear friends, so it is that God treats you and me and all people. We reject him. We think and act as if you and I, we know best. We act as if we don't need him and we can handle everything on our own. But God still stepped in. God suffered in our place. God took our punishment he loves us even though it is because of our sin that he was rejected, persecuted, beaten, and died. My friends, that is love without limits. That he would step in and take your place and take my place. Well, Joseph lived this out, pointing to what Christ would do for you and me and for all people. Joseph dismisses his brother's fear and worry over what they had done to him, but instead of getting back at them, which, come on, that's what I think I'd want to do, instead of getting back at them, he promised to provide for them and show them love and care. Joseph doesn't dwell on the sins of his brothers, but instead he sees them as God's gracious instruments, which enables him to care for them and preserve God's plan of salvation. Love without limits. This is easy, right? It's easy to... Love those who have hurt you. It's easy to love your enemies, those who hate you. Oh, yeah, you know, when you're you know, in their presence, don't you just want to hug that person who's your enemy? I don't even want to shake their hands sometimes. Because you and I too often carry the scars and the wounds and, and the burden of what has happened in that relationship with us rather than let it go. No, it's not easy. In honesty, we are selective with our love and with our gifts. Our first instinct is to guard and to hold back and not give or lend to them. We tell ourselves, you know what, I need to get to know them first. I need to know whether or not I can trust them first before I'm going to you know, love them in any way, right? And we also do that in regards to what we might have. And, you know, we will count every dollar and first make sure that our needs 
and our wants are all met before we even would give consideration to ever lending, as the Lord calls us to in this text. But Jesus tells us instead to love and to give to our enemies. It's not easy, though. Underneath this is another truth that you and I, we don't like. We're no different than our enemies. We all stand equally condemned, equally enemies of God. We're no different. We fall short, we sin, and we need God's compassion. And as such, Jesus goes on to say, do not judge and do not and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, little side note. Because I hear this quite regularly still about, you know, we're not supposed to judge one another. And we've taken this beyond what its intended meaning is. We, we take it as in, you know, we're not supposed to, you know, point out to our brother or our sister in Christ the mirror of the law so that they can see their sin and have that opportunity to turn, to repent from that sin and be restored again in their relationship with the Lord and with the one that they have that brokenness with. That's what we're called to do out of love for one another. What Jesus is telling us here about judging is don't put yourself above them like, look at me, I'm perfect because I'm not, and you're not. We all still need the same grace of God that comes to us through Jesus. As we are taught in 1 John, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love is God, John goes on to say. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. We love because he first loved us. You ever consider that? The means, the motivation, and even the ability to love comes from the fact that God first loved you and me. And I like what Paul says to the church, the people of Corinth, when he says, Christ's love compels us. He loved me, me. He knows my every sin, my every failure, and he still loves me. And now I can't help but tell you. Listen, if he can love me, he can love you. Christ's love compels us. Or listen to what the Lord himself says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Did you hear that? By your love. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Love without limits. 
As this text was read this morning, you probably thought of a few people, and I went to bed last night and I started thinking about a few people who along the journey of my life have left marks, scars. And I said to myself, Jesus, you want me to love him? Not so easy. But when I slow down and begin to pray again and say, but Lord, you love me in spite of the way that I do not always honor you, love you, follow you, serve you. What are you carrying? Where have you been hurt? Where have you been betrayed? Yesterday when I was uh, finalizing this, I I started to think of um, some of our dear ministry partners. And in particular, I started to think of Dr. Chandra Bose in uh, India and his wife, Dr. Leela Bose from Mission India, our partners there. They have learned to love what some would call the untouchables or the unlovable. The Lord put on his heart that he was to go and start a church in a dump. His wife said, well, if you're going to do that, I'm going to start a school and love the little ones. And a little three-room school was built, and now today, 700 students... 200 students in a college, training them to be mission planters. And in the midst of all this, they are surrounded by Muslims and Hindus, and the Hindus in recent years have tried to literally take over and take control of this school. And you know what Dr. Bose, both of them do? They pray for, and they love their Hindu neighbors. And God keeps blessing what they're doing. Love them. And then everyone will know that you are my disciples. My friends, this word, love, is why we have been taking the last uh, several months working through this visioning process. Listen, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot that we could step back and say, you know, isn't this great? And we just get comfortable and we get content and we would just stay here. But that's not the Lord's will. There are people in this community, there are people in this world who right now are dying and going to hell without Jesus. Do we care? God has gifted this church in so many wonderful ways. And what we believe he is doing is he is calling us to learn how to love those who are around us. Try to discover how he has uniquely gifted and enabled this church to be his hands and his feet and to love this community. And to love people into his nail-scarred hands. So how do we love them? 
They will know us by our love. I do pray that every one of you will stay and at least listen and be part of the, the meeting that's going to follow the service, but right now I'd like you to watch this video, but then I'd like you to join in singing. I think most of you will know this song as soon as it starts. One moment, please. <laughs> Pay no attention to that man in the back of the room. <laughs> Not happening. All right, you're stuck with me. You ready? We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. May those words be engraved upon your heart. May those words continue to be one of those songs you can't get out of your head. But the people around you, the neighbors next to you, the people you hang out with, the people you meet you know, on the square or wherever it is, may they know you are Christian by your love. And may the Lord then use that by the power of his Spirit to draw them into his presence. Amen. Amen. Let us stand.